The following audio is from Sand Hills Community Church. More information about Sand Hills Community Church is available at www.sandhillschurch.org. So I, I don't know if you know it or not. So annually in the church calendar, um, this Sunday is set aside as the Sanctity of Life Sunday. That comes out of a declaration that was made by President Ronald Reagan on January 13th of 1984 uh, that was really uh, where he designated January 22nd would be the day that we would honor the sanctity of human life. And that's because on January 22nd of 1973, uh, the Supreme Court ruled that it was okay to have abortion on demand in all 50 states. And, um, and so this is the time where we pause and we want to just ex- uh, celebrate life and, um, and make sure we have God's perspective on life. And so that's what we want to do this morning. Um, now, I, I'm going to tell you, so we're going to apply this to a number of areas. We're not just going to apply it to the idea of abortion, but how God views life will apply to a number of areas. So I'm going to tell you before we even start today, <laughs> this is going to be more of a controversial type of message for some people. And so just kind of buckle yourselves in and just you can just say, he warned me. Um, and if you're visiting with us today, normally what we do is we just work our way through books of the Bible, which can also be controversial. I mean, it's still God's word, right? But that's another thing. Uh, but today we'll probably be intentionally controversial uh, to some degree. So from time to time, if you have a problem and people want to get in contact with me, just let me know some thoughts you have. I'm okay with that. You can, you can vent, you can process, you can share with me. Uh, just send me an email to um, malcolm at sandhillschurch.org. Um, and we'll dialogue, and we'll get, get through this. So, okay, yeah, it's not my email, but that's all right. Uh, Jeff at sandhillschurch.org. So today what we're going to talk about, and this is really the, the premise, we're, today we're going to talk about what theologians refer to as the Imago Dei, the Imago Dei. Now, the Imago Dei is a Latin phrase, and what it, what it refers to is the image of God. And when theologians uh, talk about it, uh, what they're saying is this, is that human beings are created in God's image and therefore have inherent value independent of their status or capacity. Uh, That is, whether we would call somebody a good or bad person, whether they are fully functioning or they are handicapped, whether they're rich, they're poor, they're famous, they're normal. I mean, like, whatever, whatever it is, everybody has inherent value because they've been created in God's image. Now, we know this because of God's Word. In Genesis chapter 1, this is what we'll find Genesis chapter 1, then God said, let us make man in our image, reflection of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, then God, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. All right, so what does it mean then to be created in the image of God? That is, is it a reference to the physical image of God, that I look like God? Do you look like God? (laughs) I'm just taking a, a, yeah, no, probably not, right? So, all right, so if that's not what it means, then what does it mean? Well, I think some of the hint is in this. Let us make man in our image and let them have dominion, dominion over the fish of the sea. Okay, so the idea is this, is that God has dominion, right? He rules the universe. And when we take on the role of dominion, there's a way that we reflect the image of God by way of our position of authority, that we are caretakers of the earth. There's all sorts of ways um, that we do this. So uh, as a caretaker of the earth, so, so somebody might say, well, I like to hunt deer. I do. I like to go deer hunting, and I, I love deer meat and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then somebody might ask, do I have the right to do that? I would just say, dominion. You have right to do that. But somebody else might say, well, I, I love animals, and I don't want animals hurt at all. In fact, what I would like to do is I want to be a part of uh, preserving the extinction of animals, and so I'm going to devote my life to uh, protecting a particular endangered uh, rhinoceros. Like, okay, dominion. 
Like, that's what we do. We're caretakers of the earth. Like, those are decisions uh, we get to make. So that, that's a way that we have this. So we have the image of God, the Imago Dei, by function of rule on, over the earth, over the plants, over the animals. Uh, here's another way. I love this. Uh, in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Okay, now that's interesting. So that means then that, that the image of God is best reflected when you have both men and women. That is, a man does not reflect the image of God. A woman does not reflect the image of God like in total. But together, men and women reflect the image of God. Now, I would also say this. No particular couple, a man and a woman, uh, accurately reflect it, although they do more fully reflect it. And, and due to the complexity of wiring and what God has done in us, you really need a collection of men and women like the church. And when you get the church together with our collection of men and women together, we reflect better the image of God. And so that's how the image of God is, is fleshed out a little bit by uh, how God has put something into the wiring of men and women that together uh, reflects more fully who he is, a bit of the image of God. But I would, I would say this is the big one. The idea for me, I would say, is this. Reason and relationships. That, if I was just gonna, that'd be my summation category. Reason and relationships reflect the image of God. Um, now, we are uniquely different. One thing you could ask yourself is, how are we different from animals, right? What is it that, that makes us distinct? Now, one thing you might say is that, well, well, we have a soul, right? We were intended to be connected with our creator in a particular way. He is our father. We are his children. Uh, we have a broken relationship. That's got to be restored through Jesus Christ. Um, so we have a soul, right? Animals don't have souls, right? You're, you know, I love my dog, but my dog has no soul, right? I'm not sitting at home reading the Bible to her at night, right? Your cat your cat has no soul, right? Let's just, you already know that. Let's just state the obvious, but you know. So, so you know, that's, it's not that. So we're unique in that, but this, it's bigger than that. So what's this apart from animals? We have the capacity to reason. Uh, we have morality. We have a complex communication. We have relationships of love that are unique with accountability and commitment. Um, we have a bent towards worship. We have a bent towards creativity. Uh, we have self-control. We have, we have sacrifice. Uh, that's a part of how we process life. Now, you could say, well, there are animals that have certain uh, elements like that. Well, yeah, animals do because they have the same creator as we do, but it is more fully fleshed out in humanity. Humanity is fundamentally different uh, than the animals, and so we value ourselves different than we value animals. So, okay, so then if I have been created in, in the image of God with all those things in mind, what am I supposed to do with it? Like, what's my responsibility before God? So I'm glad you asked that question, uh, or I asked it for you. Uh, at this point, turn to Matthew chapter 22. If you have your Bible's handy, Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to be at verse, starting at verse 15 today. And we're going to talk about the image on a coin, the image on a coin. Uh, as you're turning there, so Jesus is teaching in the temple complex at this time. Now, Jesus had enemies, which is really almost any leader, uh, religious leader, political leader, uh, these were his enemies. And he's teaching now, and he's interacting with leaders of the religious uh, society at the time. And so in particular, there's some Pharisees uh, that are there, and they're in a bit of conflict. And Jesus goes into this teaching, Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 15. Let me read it for us. Then the Pharisees went, and they plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, "'Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully.'" And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. 
And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and they went away. So, you know, I love this idea. So if you go back to the beginning, verse 15, then the Pharisees went and they plotted how to entangle him in his words. So the Pharisees knew, like, we've got to unseat this dude. He is totally showing us up, and we've got to make sure that we retain power, authority, and influence. And the crowds are following this guy. So here's what they, they got to get and they thought, okay, here's what we need. We need to be able to confront him in such a way that no matter how he responds to a question we put to him, whether in the affirmative or in the negative, we win. He will discredit himself. That's what they want. So they, they come up with this plan. Let's go forward the next couple of verses. And they sent their disciples to him. I know this is, this is also creative. He sent their, so this is not like the, the Pharisees themselves, the proper, the, the guys that he's been conflicting with. This is like sending seminary students, right, to, to talk with Jesus. And they can, they can come up so innocently. Like, hey, listen, we're still learning. We're still growing. Can you help us understand this question? I mean, it sounds so innocent. So they send the younglings uh, to go and interact with them. So they sent their disciples to him uh, along with the Herodians. Okay, no, wait, along with the Herodians. Now, see, the Herodians were a political group, and their goal was to make sure that the house of Herod had as much political and economic influence as it could have in the Roman Empire. And, and, and so here's what you need to know. The Pharisees and the Herodians do not get along. They don't think about life theologically or politically in the same way at all. They're adversaries. But they have a common enemy, Jesus, right? Because Jesus is undermining political and religious authority, and the masses are listening to him. And so, you know, the phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so they're like, hey, let's get together and let's unseat this dude. We don't like each other, but we both don't like him. So let's get rid of this dude. So they come together and they plot. And uh, just them working together is, is really weird. See, Jesus is always bringing unity. All right. So, the, uh, so with the Herodian saying, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. Which doesn't that sound... That sounds so nice. Like, we're like we, we know you. And you don't care about anyone's opinion, for you're not swayed by appearances. You know, this is just, they're just putting the honey on there. But, but Jesus knows. And he's, uh, so, but, oh, they put this question to him. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? All right, so Jesus, here's the deal. Either we pay taxes or we don't. Which is it? Now, see, this, this is where they've got him. Because if he says, well, it is not lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, which, by the way, is what the Pharisees would probably answer. So they're thinking Jesus would probably answer this. So if he says, it is not lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, well, then they've got him on charges of treason. And the witnesses are there. The Herodians are there. The Pharisees are there. They can go indict him right away. He'll be hauled away for inciting rebellion. So that's treason. So they can give him that. But if he says, oh, oh, it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, all right, well, see, now the crowds will turn against him. And especially the very religious and politically astute Jews. Because the religious Jews who were also involved in politics, in, in a particular group called the Zealots, Jesus had a follower named Simon the Zealot. I mean, he was part of the, the religiously ethnic Jews who was very politically active. And they did not want you to pay taxes to Caesar because Caesar held himself to be a god. And so they felt paying taxes to him was paying tribute to a god, which was a form of paganism. So we don't do that. So Jesus, which is it? Is it lawful or is it not lawful? And then you can, you can almost just picture him sitting back going, <laughs> you know, like we're, we're ready for this. And then I look, Jesus, of course, is the master teacher. Hey, pull out a coin. You know, and so this idea, pull out, he, he appealed to something that everybody had with him. Like if I said to you right now, 
Hey, everybody pull out a dollar. I want to give you an illustration. Like almost everybody here carries some sort of paper money on you. Now I get, we're in a digital age and there may be people here like, nah, I just use my phone. Like, I, okay, it's cool. It's, it's a new world. They didn't do that back then. But the idea is that this is an illustration some, almost everybody had. And even if there was only one that brought him the denarius, others would have pulled one out of their pocket thinking, I wonder where he's going with this. And so they're sitting there looking at it. And, and then he asks a very innocent question. Whose image is on that? Oh, it's Caesar's image. Okay. So then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And then if you look at their response, I love this. The response is this. When they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. You've heard the idea of the mic drop moment? You know, when you say that statement that is so powerful and profound, you can just boom, and you're like... Like, that was one of those moments for Jesus where he just lays it down and his own opponents are like, dang, we did not see that coming. That is so good. Like, it's so good. They're like, I got ah, you win. We, we, we concede this one. And they just leave, which I think would have been hilarious. Um, but, but so here's what I love. One of my favorite teachers and uh, theologian, also an apologist, if you're familiar with the term, uh, is named Ravi Zacharias, uh, who's a part, by the way, of our denomination. So Ravi Zacharias was uh, teaching one time, and I heard him teach on this passage. And I, I loved what he said. He said, for me, the passage ends prematurely. And he, and he said, here's why. He said, so you get to the end. He says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Render to God the things that are God's. He said, you know, if I was one of the Pharisees or the Herodians, I would have asked a follow-up question. And my follow-up question would have been, what, what are the things of God? And he said, Jesus could have then said to them, well, whose image is on you? That's the idea. The co- whose image is on the coin? Well, then give that to Caesar. Whose image is on you? Give this to God. All right, so with that in mind, what does it mean then to live as one created in the image of God to give myself fully to God, right? Because God wants ownership, not rental, right? Rental is the person who just checks in at church, feels like they've checked a box and they go home. Uh, rental is the person who doesn't really read their Bible uh, except for when they're told to pull it out. Uh, you know, rental is the person who's not, not praying except for maybe at dinner or something like that. Like, like, God wants the whole deal. He wants your whole life. He doesn't want you to play around with this. He wants full ownership of you. How do I give that to God? Well, first we know that there's a reconciling work that has to take place through Jesus Christ. I mean, we, we have to come to a point, all of us, where we realize I'm a sinful person. Like, if I die guilty of these sins before God, that when he judges me, I will be cast away from his presence and condemned to a place called hell, a place of suffering and torment eternally. I don't want that. God doesn't want that for me. And so God made another way. That is, he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. And so that now those who respond to him in faith, putting their their belief in him, will find that they enter into forgiveness and a restored relationship with their creator. And so that's, that's preeminent. That's number one. So after that then, uh, how do I view humanity? Like, this is really important. How do I view humanity? Well, if somebody is in Christ, right, they've been redeemed, then they are now to me something unique. They are now considered my brother or sister. They're, they're family. And, and to somebody outside of Christ, well, they're where I used to be. And they're somebody that still needs to hear of the hope and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So I view them as somebody that needs that grace and forgiveness to be extended to them through Jesus, and maybe I'm the vehicle for that. Because, you know, we're, we're not inclined to like one another. Like, like not naturally. So, i, I, I give you an example. Uh, I'm a football fan, and uh, my football team is still in it. You know, like, like today. Like, I don't, even know, I don't even know if I should do this real quick here. So, I, I don't know if I should show. So, my 
Patrick Mahomes socks there. And so if I've offended anybody, I get it. So, um, and we have, we have football fans here from every you know, background, and particularly in the first service. They're not here now, so I'll pick on them. We have these, uh, these Denver fans. Like, you know, you could be a fan of, like, but Denver, that's like one of, it's like having a Raiders fan here at the church. So uh, <laughs> I know we have some of you too, and I know one of them sitting in here. So um, we have Raiders fans. So, you know, this idea that like, there's a natural animosity towards us. If you're your division, you know, so AFC West, uh, if I'm walking down the street and I have my uh, Chiefs jersey on and I pass uh, somebody with a Denver jersey on, we're naturally inclined to be like, you know, like, we don't like each other. We don't want to park near each other. I don't want to smell them, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's how we're at. But if somebody were to say to me, oh, you know, that guy over there, he's a, he's a Christian. I'd be like, oh, he's my brother now. Man, I, now I got to love him, you know? So that's the idea is that there's a unique thing we share in Christ that makes us brothers or sisters that despite what would naturally divide us, they're family. And if we're family, we love each other. That's something that, that we've got to figure out together. And so this idea of how do I give myself fully to the Lord, that's something um, that we've got to process. And so I think this, why don't we apply this to some modern issues? Because when it, when it comes to faith, you know, like faith was never meant to be lived in a vacuum. For instance, if, if you sign on, you just get a brand new job, and you show up at the job, and, and when you show up at the job, you're you know, talking to them about it, and they say, tell me something really important about you, and you say, well, my faith, my faith is really important to me. I love Jesus wholeheartedly, totally believe the Bible, uh, orient my whole life around my faith. And if they say to you, whoa, 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 You'd, you don't bring that here. Like, That's like telling me I don't bring me here, right? My faith is who I am. It goes with me everywhere. I don't turn it on and off. It's a lifestyle, right? So you hire me, you're hiring a Christian man or woman, depending on, you know, like that it's not something that goes in and out. So then how then, as a Christian man or woman, how do we live in this day today with all of the controversy that surrounds everything, right? So I, I thought what I would do is I'm going to take several issues today um, and let's apply it specifically. So let's, let's start with a light one to begin with. Let's start with a light issue. Um, <laughs> I don't want to go too deep too quick. So um, we... We are in a world today, can I just say, we're in a world today where we are trained to hate. We're just trained to hate and to put people down. In fact, I have a friend of mine that's a, um, a missionary, and he and I were having a conversation recently, and he said to me, he said, you know, it is so interesting to me to see the United States today where outrage is considered a virtue. Like, if you blow somebody up on Facebook, or uh, you make a big deal of somebody or something in public, like, that's heralded. People are like that. Or, or following the masses is valued. Dissenting voices are cut down with the most inhumane of thoughts uh, and attacks. You, you understand Christianity is a dissenting voice. We are not the voice of this nation. We're the dissenting voice. Like, like we're the ones who people want to cut down the ideas and the, the thoughts of God. And so when it comes to how we process, let, let us understand some things about politics. So first of all, let me do this. Let us assume that the people in this room today are reasonably intelligent people who are generally seeking God's will and want the best for ourselves and our fellow men. Right? I think that's a, good, that's a good assumption in general of this room. Most of us in this room have aligned ourselves with a political party. Now, the reason we've aligned ourselves with this party is because we believe that the party with which we've aligned ourselves best reflects the heart of God for mankind and civilization. Right? So Now, we would say, like, look, we get it, our party is flawed, totally. And, and that even though I think there's uh, some biblical themes lived out in this, there's also a lot of worldly themes, right? And frankly, some evil that's in there. But, but despite all that, I still think this is the best way for society to function if we'll function in, in this area right here. 
Now, so we already know that the only reason we've aligned with the party is because the values, and the values that we value are God's values, and we think that we find more of those values here uh, than on the other side. Then how is it then that you can have a group of people who, who this is how they're processing it, and yet end up on different sides of the aisle, so to speak, right? Like, how does that happen? I know, we're looking at each other saying that, yeah, how does that happen? How are you voting that way, right? So let's, let's remember some things. One thing I would want to remind you of is that Jesus would not align himself with either party. He had his own party, and he invites everybody to that one. That's what, that's what he's got. Like, in fact, I would just say that. I wish we had a Jesus party. But then if we had one, we wouldn't like the guy who was in charge of that, so we wouldn't vote for them either. So it's, like, it's, all, it's going to be a mess. So. Uh, so Jesus wouldn't be on either side, and he wasn't here either. In Scripture, we see he's invited politically to be a part of something, and he never will be. And Satan wants disunity. He particularly wants it in the church because he wants to divide God's people. And so we have to be careful. Can I remind you of something? We can have shared values and different opinions. Let me go back to that. We can have shared values, Christian values, and different opinions. Like, if you can't, you can't ever have a relationship. My marriage won't work if that can't be the case. My wife and I have different opinions about so many things. But we have shared values, that we love Jesus Christ and we we love each other, so we figure out a way to, to make it work. So as we enter into a political season, right? We're always in some form of political season, but this year uh, we're in a political season. And, uh, and many of us use social media. So I'm going to offer some cautions today as you go to engage social media. I want you to pause over your keyboard before you finish doing what you're doing. And here's some thoughts I want to put in your head. Number one, is this about God's agenda or mine? That's a good question. Is this about God's agenda or mine? Is this about truth or preference? If a Christian that I go to church with who votes different from me sees this post, will this lead to unity or disunity? Does my post carry more risk or opportunity? And finally, I would just ask this. Do I post as much about Jesus as I do my views on other things? Just, I'm not saying posting is wrong in any way. You can post for your person, your guy, your gal, whatever it would be, but just let's keep these things in mind. Again, going back to the idea of the Imago Dei. We're all created in the image of God. I would say this too. Like I hear people say this. Like I get in political circles, you're not always a fan of the other side or the other person, sometimes even your own side. So when it comes to let's be careful. We're Christians, right? So let's be careful how we talk about people. Like I heard somebody say one time, like, I wish that guy would just go to hell. I'm like, okay, hold on a second. Would God say that? Well... No. Like, okay, then you shouldn't either. So here's what you could say. I totally disagree with this person. I'm praying for them. You know, that's, that's the kind of thing we say. So let's, let's make sure we understand what it's all about. All right, let's take another light issue. All right, good. So um, let's talk uh, about abortion. Now, obviously, a very serious issue. So in the United States, every year, we kill between 800,000 to a million babies every year. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, we execute them inside the womb. Um, Christians, let me, let me put this out there. Christians are pro-life because of the Imago Dei. The Imago Dei, like we believe the image of God is on every creation. So unborn children, the Imago Dei. So um, here's what Satan would want to do. <laughs> Satan, who wants to divide, would want to would attack us in, uh, in a couple of ways. So one idea might be this, that, and we hear this in our culture, that somehow if you're pro-life, you're anti-women. Okay, how are those opposites? Can, can I be both? In fact, wouldn't it be logical to be both? I am pro-life because I'm pro-woman. You know, like, uh, for instance, we've had, uh, we've had a number of people at Sandhills over the years who've had abortions, right? And they've been honest with me, and they, they shared with me, and it's horrible. It's a really painful thing. And one of the women said to me one time, she said, you know, every time I hear a baby cry, I feel guilt. 
Can you imagine living with that? Fear, like that is, that is horrible. Can I just say this? That in Jesus Christ, there is grace and forgiveness for everything. For everything. There's always hope. There's always redemption. The idea that I am now condemned or that God looks on me with disfavor for the rest of my life, that's a lie. There is forgiveness and hope in Jesus Christ. So let's not forget that. Um, also, uh, what's the, the other idea is that um, if I vote Democrat, then I, then I have to be pro-choice. Why, why is that necessary? We vote our values as Christians. We don't let parties decide our values. So the idea that I could be a Democrat and pro-life, absolutely. Just like anything else. Like, there's no Republican or Democrat or other party that should swallow everything fed to them, right? The filter's the scripture. Anything that doesn't go along with that, we eject that. Now, there are complexities to all these things, but I think in general, some of these things are a little easier than maybe we put them to be. I do like what one friend of mine said to me, though. He said, well, I would just say this. I hope that people are legitimately pro-life and not just anti-abortion. And I was like, ooh, that's a great phrase. Like, tell me what you're thinking. He said, well, here's the thing. I want to care about the whole life. Like when the child is born, the opportunities they have, how do we take care of the families? How do we make sure that uh, people have opportunities for education and uh, for healthcare? How do we make sure everybody has dignity? Like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's a Christian idea. Like how do we take care of the Imago Day? We want to make sure that we, that we, we nourish that. Um, let's take another, another issue. All right, racial reconciliation. So one of the things most people love at Sandhills when you come here is you look around and you're like, wow, people here are really different uh, visibly from one another. And we are, praise God. So here's what we know because of what Jesus has done. He does something really unique in reminding us that we all have a common origin. A common origin. Like when you look at somebody and say, well, you're not like me. Uh, you go back far enough, you have the same mom and dad. I'm just gonna put that out, right? You are all from the same tree. You know, you may not like it, but you are. Uh, it's like, you know, I, am, I know I'm related to Denver fans, but it still kills me. You know, like, I, I get it, but you gotta learn to love. So here, let me show you something he did, and we always refer to Ephesians 2 when we talk about this. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now this was written in the context of a Jew and Gentile division. That is, this is attacking directly racial and cultural issues. And, and what the uh, Apostle Paul is writing is that in Christ, that's erased. Like we are now brothers and sisters in Christ. He's done one thing. He's brought us together so that now we are one. And so at Sandhills, that's something we want to live out. Again, the Imago Dei. The image of God is on everybody. We are brothers and sisters. Uh, God has called us together for a reason. All right, take another issue. Iran, hey. Okay, so um, it doesn't matter whether it's Iran, North Korea, uh, evil regime du jour, whatever it's going to be. Like, how do, I, how do I view these other countries? I, am I the person who says, uh, let's just, you know, kill them all, let God sort it out. All right, ooh, uh, okay, hold on. Just a second there, if you don't mind. Let's go look at what something Jesus said. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Um, and so let me, let me pause first. I, the first call is to remember the Imago Dei. The image of God is on everyone. The thing I want for them uh, is redemption. So now take your evil regime du jour. And you're thinking, yeah, but they don't want to hug. Like they're not looking for prayer. Like they want me dead. All right. 
that's an issue. So we do have to, we do have to process this. So what do you do with that? Well, first I'm going to take you back to uh, something that comes from Genesis, again, Genesis chapter 9. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Now, here's, the, here's what you have to understand. So some would say, oh, I don't think you ever take a life. All life is sacred. Uh, God would never want us to do that because we're created in the image of God. No, no, it's the opposite. Because we're created in the image of God, when somebody takes man's life, we take their life. Their life becomes forfeit. That's what Scripture says. That's not something uh, we said. So um, well, somebody might say this, though. Okay, hold on. But that's more like Old Testament. That's not New, new Testament. We're under a new covenant. Oh, okay, new covenant. Uh, let's go to Romans chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, you have to understand, when Paul wrote this, it was during the Roman Empire. Those were some wicked rulers, but he's saying the idea of authority has been given by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. And here's that. That's a reference to capital punishment. This idea that, that our governing authorities have the right to take life uh, from, from people who are evil. That is, that's a, a privilege that they are, they are given. And, and so you might say that, well, like as, as I'm processing this, well, like what about somebody breaking into my home, you know? What, what rights do I have there? The same rights. Like, they're not there to give you a hug, right? Uh, your life is in danger. Is it more loving of me to suffer harm and allow my family to suffer harm or to stop somebody from doing harm? No, that's, that's something we'd have to wrestle with, but it's obviously more loving to stop somebody from doing harm, right? Uh, you know, church shootings are a big deal. What if somebody stood up in this congregation and decided to go crazy? Do we, well, we don't hurt them because, no, we'd, we'd have to make a decision. Like, none of these things are easy and pretty, but there's a reality here that God is the God of life and death and that we have to value all life. And when somebody doesn't, that's a problem with the Lord, not just with us. So these are things to think about. Um, I know there's a lot in this. Maybe I would finish with this, and this would be maybe a prayer that we could offer. God, may we view ourselves and our fellow man with the inherent dignity of those created in the image of God. We all acknowledge there's a complexity to this in every realm, but may this be the first thing we think about. Let me pray for us. Father, I, I do pray for that. I, this is so, this is hard, trying to figure out how we apply these things. And even brothers and sisters in this room disagree. Eh, that's okay. As long as we hold ourselves to the same standard, that we understand that at the end of the day, this is about your will for mankind. This is about valuing people like you value them. Lord, I would just pray that in the midst of this, we would, we would extend a lot of grace to one another that we would keep coming back to uh, your word, which you've expressed to us, that we would keep coming back to the faith that we share in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I would pray, I'd pray for this country. I would pray that you would place in leadership in this country godly men and women who would lead us in the right direction. We thank you in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Sandhills Community Church. Feel free to share this with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information, please visit our website at www.sandhillschurch.org.